Hello and welcome. You're listening to Nature's a Hoot with Tom Morath and Hannah Shaw. This is the wildlife podcast from the Hawk Conservancy Trust. And as you know, we're all about birds at the Trust. But birds don't live alone. They're a part of a whole ecosystem. And so this podcast is our chance to take a more general look at wildlife beyond birds. If you're itching to know more about biodiversity or barn owls, or eager to explore the worlds of woodlands and wetlands, basically, if you like wildlife, you're in good company. And you don't need to be an expert, we've got that covered, as we're joined by some of the greatest voices in conservation to tell us more about what's happening right now in the wild world around us. And coming up in this month's episode, we'll take you with us as we chat to our very own Mark Ison. Yeah, the grounds of the Trust are teeming with wildlife, so it has been great to get an insight into a certain elusive mammal. Yes, and of course we'll be bringing you our matter-of-fact challenge. This month, Hannah and I will be pitching our claims to the animal with the best camouflage. It's all to come in this month's episode of Nature's a Hoot, but first... Hannah, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, we're full swing. We've just come out of a heat wave, so we kind of had to change things around a little bit to accommodate the birds Yeah. and accommodate our visitors on the park. It's obviously kind of our busiest time of the year, and so it's always a little bit worrying when we're considering cutting down our daily events or um, even at one point last month we closed the doors because it was so hot here that we were worried about you know the the birds themselves yeah. of course first and foremost and people coming to see us um, it's always worrying when that's kind of the time where you know we're kind of making hay while the sun shines and, and boosting our fundraising efforts um, but we managed to pull a few things together we did like a quite an in-depth owl talk where people who came to visit us could have a feel of some owl feathers yeah. they could get up close to owl pellets i came to um, see it it was about really good silent flight of owls yeah no well thank you it was yeah it was it was nice to do something a little bit different actually and i think yeah, most yeah. people were relieved that they didn't have to sit in the full sun of reggie's meadow at two mm. o'clock <laughs> i think we might that have had some so some fainters <laughs> yeah some people were hitting the deck yeah which when you've got so many vultures flying around is not it's not good is it <laughs> no not a good look no. um, how, how have you been getting on yeah I'm okay um I should probably um, I suppose I have to announce my big news don't I you do you do and everyone's got to brace themselves at home yeah um one, one for the news and two for for my sheer sadness <laughs> oh, Tom. um yeah so it's it's unfortunately the end of the line for me at the trust um i am moving on to a new position somewhere else the pastures new yes indeed which is very sad it's bittersweet because i have loved working at the trust and especially working with the team such a great team to work with um yeah but yeah i'm excited about new adventures how, how long have you been here now, Hannah? Um, so I've been here almost five years. So, okay. yeah, we can so say you've had five a good innings. Years. Pretty good innings, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and you, are you allowed to tell us where you're going? Yeah, I think, do next? I think so. Oh, I'm not sure, actually. Am I allowed? <laughs> yes, I will. It wouldn't will. be good to lose your I job the first day. Because actually, the day that I start is the day that this um, 
this podcast comes out so Excellent. should be fine Great. um yeah i'm going to the john muir trust which is um an organization that does sort of community-based and landscape scale um conservation work in lots of scotland and parts of northern england and a bit of wales as well um but the area that i'll be working in is like their central region which is um southern scotland mostly in a bit of northern england so yeah really exciting it's very exciting position and yeah i'm moving to scotland as well eventually not straight away but moving to scotland so that's very exciting (laughs) yeah absolutely And, and what is it that you're specifically going to be doing there Um, So my role is engagement manager. So some of the things that I do at the trust now will be sort of carried over in that um, sort of communications type role, Um, but still with a very, um, very much conservation sort of focus. Um, Yeah, so it's sort of a mix again. And I'll be um, sort of managing and overseeing the john muir award which is an award to get people outdoors and enjoying the countryside exploring and conserving nature yeah so yeah so that's the main part of the job but it's very um i think very open because it's a new position so it means that i hopefully should have a bit of sort of freedom to develop it which is really nice yeah yeah um, and yeah, that's, that's sort of what you've done here in a way isn't it because i know you came on board here to be the kind of go yeah. between between different different parts of the organization and you seem to yeah, have, exactly. like really taken that and and run with it and i i know this is going to make you cringe but i just i just jotted down <laughs> some of the things that i knew that you had done during your time here that i think a lot of people oh. wouldn't necessarily know that you've done all of uh, yeah exactly <laughs> um so obviously you work with the the cnr team that like you're on the cnr team and you're kind yeah. of like very often the front face of the CNR team you're happy to come out and talk because we have these wonderful scientists but sometimes it's it's hard to relay <laughs> some of those hard facts yeah in a way that is is kind of easy to communicate with with accessible yeah with all sorts of different communities so um I mean you're a dab hand at that you've you've um obviously been working with the communications department to make sure everything that goes out on our social media is like factually correct you are like our scientists in the yeah. back office making sure that we're doing everything we should be doing and saying all the right things and that's <laughs> you know it's, it's a it's a big job it doesn't seem like it would be but it's a big job just to make sure that we're always on the straight and narrow um yeah see more recently you've set up the explore nature workshops which we talked about i think on last uh yeah last time that we did the podcast yeah um so that's kind of getting young people who wouldn't normally get involved in nature coming out and and kind of doing something completely new which actually links quite nicely to the new job by the sounds of it it does kind of getting yeah. people out and about <laughs> in nature that wouldn't normally do it um i think like for me what's been what's been really great is having that link internally as well somebody who's yeah. in the cnr department but also you know you're like one of the gang around the bird team as well so it's so <laughs> important that when we're doing our daily activities here our flying displays our talks um, that we're we're kind of getting everything right and we're putting the science out there because you know ultimately we, yeah. we work with the animals here and we want to know the cool new facts about them and yeah, we want absolutely. we want to, to push that forward into the visitors that, that come to us so you know that's kind of been that's kind of been you and of course you set up nature's a hoot with me 
Yeah. <laughs> Which, what an achievement. <laughs> yes, nature's a <hate>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a massive loss for us. And so we're all really sad, but we're also very, yeah. very pleased for you because, you know, Thank it sounds you. like you've got a, a really cool thing to, to go on to. Um, and I'm yeah. kind of hoping it's not it's not goodbye forever, really, that um, no, you'll, you'll come back and see not. us and... and Maybe, uh, yeah, it would be nice to hear, hear from you again. Am I right in thinking that you're working with, with Kevin as well? Of Yes. Um, Nature's a Hook. So Kevin Cummings was on our um, Conservation and Communities episode. Um, yeah, he was, yeah. So he was like your, your mate from years ago, and now you're like reuniting in a way. Exactly. We did our, we did the, our Masters together in Edinburgh. So he... Um, yeah, because he was on the podcast, wasn't he? he? Went because he was sort of instrumental in setting up the Langham Initiative and the um, buyout of the land up um, on the Langham Estate. So now he's not at Langham anymore. He's obviously at John Muir Trust now, um, which yeah, and he'll actually be my line manager. So. Oh, excellent! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And if any, well, I guess if anybody wants to hear who Hannah's going to be working very closely with, uh, Kevin's episode. Uh, it came out in uh, January last year, so um, you can yeah. have a listen to, to the work that Kevin's been up to. And I think the it's a Lang- Langham Estate kind of expanded again now. I know that's kind it of it has yeah just separate, recently. But it's bigger, isn't it? Yeah, so just recently. So the aim right from the beginning was to try and acquire um, the whole of the Langham Estate. I think sorry, the Buclure Estate. It's called. Um, so it was to try and acquire all of it. And in the first instance, I think they got just under half and now right. they have acquired another big chunk i'm not sure if it is all of it now but it's certainly significantly larger the area that they've now got so that's brilliant it means the project's progressing it means that things are working so a new space yeah, really for wildlife for them. exactly yeah excellent well obviously we've we've got a whole episode to do together but um yeah we wish you all the very best from from all of us here at nature's a hoot which is um me <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> um, before we move on to our main topic, um, I just wanted to pick up I on something. I want to say that something. Was, oh, um, do you? Yeah. Oh, oh, crikey! Sorry. I just yeah. want. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just want to say that um, I said that it's been great working at the trust, but yeah, it's especially been great working with you on Nature's a Who, and I really appreciate your kind words about um, the links that I've worked so hard <laughs> to make between have, the bird really team have. and the CNR team so yeah so it's it's really sad to leave and I've loved Nature's a Hoot it's been definitely been a highlight of my time at the Trust great great and it's actually important to mention that um, despite uh, Hannah's leaving um, Nature's a Hoot will continue um, and uh, I'll still be here every other month uh, bringing you kind of uh, nature-based content and talking to all sorts of different people. So uh, we will continue in earnest, um, but we will miss Hannah for a, for a little bit and then we'll forget <coughs> her, probably. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to pick up on a little story, actually, um, that came up this week. It's kind of a bit of a... I guess a good news story, really. We talk a bit about the storks returning to the UK. Um, there's that mm. fantastic rewilding project that's happening at the, the Nepa State in West Sussex. And we're starting to see uh, a few more uh, re-releases of those birds. Um, um, and a few people listening might have uh, seen that, um, I don't know, about it's about 20 or so birds, or maybe even more than that, were released again um, as, as captive bred birds um, being put back out into the wild around in and around the Nepa State. 
um, just a few weeks ago. Um, but it's not actually that story I wanted to pick up from. It was sent to us uh, by uh, Jane, who used to be here on the bird team, and she now still helps oh, to yeah. kind of organise the bird team, make sure we're in the right place. And she is the EEP coordinator for African whiteback vultures. Um, but she was having a little, little read through uh, this particular article that came from uh, Ukraine, which is obviously in uh, you know a very, very difficult time in their, their history at the moment. Um, but the link with storks, I hadn't quite realised the, the kind of cultural link that there is uh, with the stork, that they're almost considered like a sacred bird in Ukraine. Um, and, and they nest there every spring after wintering in Africa. They have this huge migration. Now, obviously, uh, part of the concern for that species and many species like it, that within war-torn countries, how wildlife is also affected. Um, yeah. And I'm looking at the picture now of this kind of hard as nails mother stork nesting yeah. with her two chicks um yeah nesting it seems to be like in an urban it's in an urban area it is yeah it's, it's road, just on the out, outskirts of kiev and there's two chicks inside the nest and, and really it's, it's kind of become this picture has become a bit of a, a symbol of hope um so of the uh, 224,000 storks that visit europe every year about 16 percent build their nests um and return to established ones uh, in Ukraine, so they they raise their hmm. their chicks throughout the late spring and into the summer, um, and obviously there's some fears that this might not happen with everything that's going on. But um, hmm. yeah, how amazing to see this this photograph, and perhaps we can link this uh, article yeah. in the in the blog so people can go and have a look because it's a really heartwarming thing with a, a lot of very very scary, frightening things happening in that part of the world. Um, just a, a small thing like this seems to have uh, uplifted. A, f- a few spirits and, and certainly it's very heartwarming to see so on to our main topic of discussion yeah. for this episode bats we've wanted to do this bats. one for a while haven't we we've really we have, been in the pipeline indeed. for ages to talk about bats um, so bats are wonderful creatures uh, they make up about 1400 species worldwide yeah so that ranges from tiny tiny ones the kitty's hog nose weighing in at just two grams and i found another one um in thailand called a bumblebee bat oh. which apparently is only the size of your thumbnail wow so that's, that's quite good to and weighs less than a penny <laughs> incredible incredible and then at the other end of the spectrum you've got the mighty great flying fox of the lowlands of new guinea yeah. which weighs over 1.5 kilos and has a length from the kind of top of its head to the tip of its toes um, of up to 30 centimeters so your average school ruler which i mean that range of you know yeah. your thumbnail to to a ruler how amazing yeah aren't they the most numerous species in um the most on make up around a quarter of our mammal species in the uk Mm. but aren't they the most numerous mammal species in the world well they make up 20 percent of of all mammal species on our planet which you know just for one group of of animals that's yeah that's pretty incredible isn't it really and we have 17 species. I don't think people realise how many species of bats we have in this country. No. 17 is a lot. It is, yeah. Although... 17 or 18? Just, Wait, I'm just picking you up on that. 18. Just picking you up on that, because there are 18 <laughs> species that live in the UK, 17 species ah, that 17 breed breeding. in the UK. Um, yeah. So there's that one uh, that was 
uh, officially declared extinct in the UK in 1990, uh, which is the mouse-eared bat, the greater mouse-eared bat. There's just one lone one oh, living in a cave in the south of England. Yeah, well, apparently so. Oh. Yeah, it's still spotted. Um, we were How talking to Mark, lonely. actually, when, when uh, what we're going to hear... Uh, the interview that we have with Mark around the grounds here at the Trust uh, yeah. just last week. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he reckons that it's it's still around in, in Cornwall. Yeah, that's just amazing. Just fancied a little holiday and never went home. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. So what do we know about bats then? So what about echolocation? Are you going to explain echolocation? They're totally blind. <laughs> blind as a bat. <laughs> but they're not, are they? No, they're not blind. <laughs> absolutely not. I wonder where that came from, really. I mean, they have, some of them have oh, got really tiny know. eyes, haven't they? But... Um, yeah. Probably because they use echolocation. Maybe people assumed that they were blind because they used echolocation instead. Yeah. Because I guess it's the ones that fly at night time that use echolocation more. And as a, as a bit of a crash course, insect feeders. Hannah, what, what is echolocation to, to the layman like me? I do, to the layman, literally, it, this yeah. is going to be the simplest way <laughs> because I don't really understand it. Um, they said, "Don't they send out pulses of mm. sound at a really that we can't hear?" Yeah. So really high pitch, and then when it hits something, it sends those pulses back to them, and then they, well, they, do they hear it? Or yeah, do they, have they can kind of build a map that, of the the space around them, can't yeah, they? Depending yeah. on the time it takes to hit a surface and bounce back, and they kind of create a map. So I guess mm. it's a little bit like sonar being used on submarines and things, creating yeah. and dolphins. creating a map. Yeah, and dolphins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I guess we know they're insect feeders as well. On the whole, um, obviously we've on got things whole, like fruit yeah. bats, which are yeah. obviously not just insect feeders, but uh, the species that are in the UK certainly uh, mostly feed on insects, often flying insects. But I learned yeah. from Mark that they land on the ground to feed as well. I never knew that. Long-eared bats, he was talking about um, uh, eating ground-dwelling insects as well, which I never would have thought. And then there's those very few species that are vampire bats. Oh yeah, Dracula. I saw a video actually on uh, Twitter yesterday of um, a camera trap video of capybaras or capybaras in South America somewhere. Oh, they're really cool. I like capybaras. Yeah, they're they're like the biggest rodent, aren't they? Yeah, they look like a giant, giant um, guinea pig, don't they? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And the capybaras were walking past, and so I was like, oh, that's nice, nice camera trap video. And then if you look really closely, you could see a vampire bat on the ground behind the capybara ch- like not chasing but following the capybara <laughs> and then when the capybara would stop the vampire bat would like have a little nibble on its no on its way back, on its back leg yeah and and it was funny because the capybara sort of stopped and was like oh i thought i, thought I heard something I'm <laughs> so sure, is this I'm bat sure like was something. walking oh, no, along behind there. like and then crawling along on. or flying along like i'm trying to imagine like like literally works. you can't really see it properly all you can see is its little eyes shining right. back because it's night time and it just looks like a little sort of it looks like a mouse or something but yeah. it's like hopping wow. hopping along yeah yeah it's funny I mean it's not doing a great job for their image is it we've got this very <laughs> very, very cute large tiny, mammal tiny. and it's like it's having its blood sucked by, by this little bat I mean I think so many people have got this fear of bat, of bats um I remember one of my favourite films as a as a kid was um, Ace Ventura when nature calls, <laughs> and um, yeah, he I remember him hating bats, and I never really understood because I kind of thought bats were really really cool, but I think lots of people have got this phobia of them in some way, and whether that's that's something to do with people thinking they're going to come and suck their blood or something. 
Yeah, but vampire bats aren't just vampire bats. So they do eat other things. They eat insects. Sure. And different species eat different things. So they're not just out to <laughs> suck your blood. No, no, <laughs> <only>. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they're also pollinators, aren't they, in the UK? They could have yeah. been one of the winners on the best pollinator matter-of-fact challenge oh, a few see, few uh, episodes ago. Um, yeah. Because they kind of go around in and amongst those plants uh, trying to catch those insects and also spreading that pollen around. Um, and as a result, can be a really good indicator species. We talk about some species yeah. in the UK, you know, things like birds and, and butterflies their numbers and their the success of their population being a really good indicator of how well the rest of the biodiversity is doing um, and bats can do that very very well um, in particular because a lot of those species are nocturnal and mm. obviously birds and a lot of other insects like butterflies that we rely mm. on are not active at that time so they kind of they're kind of doing the night shift of being that um, biodiversity indicator yeah because there are flowers that only come that open up in the evening, aren't they? Yeah, they that's open true. Up at night time, so yeah. I guess the bats then do that job. And there's some there's bats across the world that are specifically adapted, so co-evolution, co-evolved with different species of plant, and are really important for the pollination of lots of plants that we use as well, like dates, oh. uh, bananas. Who'd have thought? So we wouldn't have bananas without bats. Well, I don't know if we wouldn't have bananas without bats, but they certainly help. <laughs> yeah, um, tequila <laughs> as well. <laughs> oh, stag so, wouldn't be anywhere bats. near as fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so, and I've got a good bat fact. Did you know that bats are more closely related to humans than they are to mice? No, that can't be a fact. Apparently Surely so. not. They literally look like yeah. flying mice. I know. But they're not, are they? They're not rodents. No. They're their own thing. Their own little own little mammal species. Yeah. Um, so we also said we were going to kind of address a little bit of a um, elephant in the room or, or bat in the oh, room yeah. um, about COVID, weren't we? COVID and yeah. the bat link. Yeah. So it's, it's um, I think a lot of people understand that bats were sort of see them as the culprit for the whole of covid so we have to think about the fact that the reason that these these viruses then make it into the human population is because of our use of um, misuse those animals or misuse of animals or our sort of encroachment onto their habitats um yeah but we know that we think that it came from bats but it's not confirmed um, that's just a theory mm. and that if it did then there has to be a, vac- a vector species it can't it wouldn't have passed directly from human from bats to humans it would have gone through another species like uh, pigs or dogs or something like that okay not I'm not saying that's what it was I'm just saying as an example as a theory <laughs> yeah okay yeah. I think we actually discussed that when we were kind of in the midst of COVID when we first started the mm. um oh we did didn't the podcast we? Yeah. in 2020 um I think we talked about you know, not necessarily demonising the animals that we that we have theories about these diseases originating from, um, and I think bats get demonised enough as it is. So I just wanted to yeah. clear that up for the bats, really. That um, yeah, yeah. Let's not let's not hate on the bats. Let's not blame for, the bats. No, let's not do that. <laughs> In any case, um, we were excited to head out with Mark just last week, as Mark is a 
what is he? He's a conservation ecologist, isn't he? He's an yeah. ecologist, a bat ecologist. Yeah. Um, and uh, he came up with the idea of doing a bat survey at the Trust. And so, obviously, yeah. we jumped on the chance to head out with him after hours around the Trust grounds to see what we could find, or rather what we could hear. So we're just starting to set up for our bat survey. You can probably hear behind me. Um, Mark and Hannah are preparing. Mark's just explaining how we go about doing a bat survey. Very exciting. Sun is just starting to set. It is just coming up to Harper State in the evening in August. Beautiful, beautiful evening. So hopefully we're going to see some bats this evening. What if we spot them? Well, if we, you spot them, shout. Yeah, because <laughs> they don't all, they don't always make a noise. They don't always call. Yeah. How do they see where they're going if they're not making a call? They are not blind. That's, that's, that's a, a common misconception yeah. that, bats are, that bats are blind. So forget using the term blind as a bat. While there's still um, daylight, ambient light, um, they can still see what they're doing. So they resort to more of the echolocation. At night time? Yeah, once it's got dark. And you would see, if you, if you were to sit out for longer than, than we're doing, you'd see a decrease in the activity oh. for certain species, which would then pick up again around dawn. So there's some bats that will prefer lighter conditions than darker conditions. You'll see certain bats come out at certain times, so the, probably the first ones we're likely to see or hear would be noctual, which are bigger bats, and they one of the, what we call the big bats, and they are often seen and heard commuting. So on all the surveys I've done, I've never actually seen one emerge or forage. I've always seen them commuting. Mark spends huge amounts of time studying these creatures outside of his normal work as a member of the bird team here at the Trust. His knowledge of and passion for these small mammals is plain to hear as soon as you start talking to him. They do make up a substantial amount of our mammal species. I think it's around about 25% to maybe 30% of our mammal species are actually bats. I'm going to put myself out there now, probably because I've listened to you do the Nifty Nest Builders <laughs> talk. 17 species, did you say? There's 17 species that breed. Right. And 18 that have been recorded in the UK. As So what's happening with the 18th then? That, the 18th they're not, um, they're not getting down? No, the, no <laughs> there's one example of the 18th species and he's a mouse-eared mouse bat and he's been recorded since 2002 in a cave, we're told, near Brighton somewhere. Well, But he's never had a mate, a partner, nothing's ever, you know, nothing's ever happened as, as regards breeding. Wow. So they're a northern, well, sort of mainland Europe species, but that's come over from, from France, obviously. And never Just gone decided back. decided to stay. Well, Brighton's very nice, Tom, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously likes it down there. And from what I'm told, this is a good spot for long-eared bats. Oh, should we stand and... and but is it too I early? will say it might be a bit early. They're usually late emerges, the long-eared. But I've had reports from both Gary and James that they do, they are in this area and they do come down to feed on the ground, which would be very cool if we could see. Um, when they're coming down to feed on the ground, they're eating the same thing they would eat in the sky, but it's landed? Um, possibly, or, or um, terrestrial inverts okay. that can't fly. Yeah, 
kind of don't think of that no. usually do you see no. them catching these insects on the wing and, and yeah. obviously being long-eared they've very they've got very good hearing without necessarily using their echolocation as well because okay. if they're using echolocation flying towards the ground it's going to be one big old messy <laughs> yeah. messy return for yeah. them isn't it? Um, yeah so they, they use a bit like a, a bit like one of the owls that uses like a great grey owl yeah. or something yeah, yeah that big surface area of exactly ear. pulls it in exactly excellent um, as I said earlier, hopefully we will see some long-eared, but whether they're brown or grey will be up for debate. If they're grey long-eared, then we'll be swamped with lots of bat people. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because they're very, uh, they're very scarce. I have to say, I didn't realise that there were two long-eared. So yeah. I thought there was only one. New. No. As I say, you can only allegedly only split them by DNA analysis. Okay, so we wouldn't yeah. be able to stand here and say that's no one I or mean, the, the other. The might return a grey. Okay. And we could all get very excited, but it would have to go away and be analysed. Right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put any money on it being. <laughs> you can great. tell by the apparently, according to my guide, <laughs> you can tell by the width of the ear. Which is great as long but as you see one next to the to, other, isn't down it? Down to a, a like portion of a millimetre. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Five point five millimetres. So if you can get that from bit that back being at the top <laughs> yeah. of the tree, so, you're doing very yeah. well. And you need one of each to compare, don't <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah. Or, exactly, or a ruler. Yeah. I like your honesty, actually, Hannah, that you've been using that guide. You could have just said, well, actually, yeah. you can tell by the that. fraction of a millimetre. <laughs> so when you're doing surveys, do you ever stand around and nothing happens? Yeah, which quite often, obviously, if we're doing surveys for um, domestic clients, yes. then that's really good. Right, yeah, because they want to change something. They want to change them. something. They don't want bats to and be there, really. No, and nobody wants to um, knowingly harm bats or get rid of bats, I'm pretty sure. Sure. But I don't think people quite grasp swallow. <laughs> quite <laughs> nearly. Quite grasp the um, the length of the process when okay. they start employing bat surveyors because it does probably put six months on your project. Wow. And okay. it can be quite expensive. Why Why does it take so long? Because you've you'd normally only survey if you've got evidence of bats. So you you'll contact um, a consultancy and say, right, I've got that building, and we think we've seen bats coming out of it. We'll come along and do a preliminary roost assessment or a phase one survey as it's known and that is to be a bit more scientific and look see how old the droppings are if they're bat droppings if they're mouse droppings okay. for example yeah, yeah. Um, you have to be licensed to do that because you need to use a torch and you're not allowed to disturb a bat with a torch gotcha. unless you're a, a class one license holder um, so that all takes time and then you find evidence of the bats you then have to have it's more than likely you'd have to have three emergent surveys so dusk yeah if there was a lot of activity you would possibly have as many as three probably not but you could have up to three re-entry surveys which are dawn surveys right so you get pe weird people like me come sit in your back garden at <laughs> like th half three in the morning at this time of year invited <laughs> invited absolutely yeah yeah and believe it or not it's very cold at that time oh, of yeah, even yeah. Now. yeah um yeah and they're often when you see the most bats because they're all returning to the roost around about the same time whereas they don't all leave the roost at the same time so you get a condition called a swarm okay which is exactly what it Lots says and that can be very very cool if there's a lot of bats going in there yeah it's very very cool there's some places across the world, like I've seen footage from North America of, of red-tailed buzzards mm. coming and catching, mm. you know, bats that are emerging from a cave of an evening. I mean, that's, mm. I mean there's like thousands upon yeah. thousands of bats all at once. Yeah. Do we get that same sort of communal roosting in the UK? D we don't get those numbers, and, and short of the experience I had of when a 
a tawny out quarter back when I was doing a survey right above me. No way. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I'm just sitting there minding my own business. And I, I know tawnies were around yeah. because quite often the bats will go quiet and you, okay. the, the um, activity will cease. But yeah, this one didn't and it ended up... Paid the price. ...as lunch or tea. But um, And the other thing is the video that we both saw of the Sparrowhawk. Yeah. And that looked like a likely to be in a dawn yeah. re-entry scenario. Yeah, well. But I don't think there's the numbers... Um, involved in this in the UK that would lead to a change in behaviour of those mm. predators possibly yeah. on such a scale um, I mean those birds had obviously learned that there were bats yeah. in those numbers coming yeah. out and they could just pick one off and no, none of the others would be any the wiser no. sort of thing no that's right are there certain species that are that roost in groups rather than on their own because some species are soli more solitary I believe the bigger bats are more solitary yeah. like noctules but certainly the the pipistrels, common on soprano, are communal roosters, as are some of the uh, one of the long-eareds and um, the horseshoes. There's some video around at the moment of a roost they found in Sussex, a maternity roost of, I think they're greater horseshoes, mm. and it's absolutely alive. Mm. They've gone in there with this torch, and the rafters are alive with these bats and their pups. It's, be pretty awesome sight if, if someone's never seen a bat before and i'm hoping almost everybody that's probably listening to nature who has seen a bat at some point in the world so. how how big are we talking these things might be because if you watch like horror films <laughs> it's like it's it's a man hanging upside yeah, down in your yeah. in your attic isn't it yeah. how, how big is a bat um in the uk for the for, for the purposes of audio pipistrels are probably about that size so the forearm length of a soprano pip, for example, is is so what three centimeters? Right. So, so they're tiny. thirty mil. They're so they are tiny. tiny. Yeah. The entire wingspan is one hundred and ninety-two, so nineteen centimeters. So oh. we're talking smaller than your standard ruler, yeah. which is thirty centimeters, aren't we? So yeah, and then I think the biggest bat is a noctule, which goes up to forty-five centimeters in uh, wingspan. And that is quite. So yeah, quite big quite actually, quite isn't it? Yeah. And is it right um, that some of the bats that we have here, you know how you have that traditional uh, thought of bats hanging from their feet? Mm. Pipistrels sort of just sort of sit, don't they? they rather than hang. They will, but they will hang as they well. They can hang as so, well. So, yeah, I think when they're in a, like a maternity roost, they'll hang. But if you ever see one re enter a, a building, yeah. quite often they'll, all they need is a very, very sm small space, like a lifted tile, literally. Yeah centimeters mm. and they sort of smack into it and then crawl in yeah that's right um because that's yeah. like the bat boxes are really really yeah. narrow yeah. aren't they and they could just crawl up they just it. crawl in that's why they have the yeah um, the ridges grooves that's right the ridges in the back i did have a gentleman ask me today if they were to aid echolocation the ridges in the back <laughs> box so i was very polite and said they probably wouldn't need it in such a confined space <laughs> That's an interesting that was, question. It was, it, it was, yeah, yeah. And obviously, I let him know it was an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> if you're out there and listening, great question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um. So, talk us through your your bit of kit here as oh well, my then. Goodness. Okay. So, it's a standard um, Kindle Fire. Um, you can also use it on an Android phone, uh, an iPad, or an iPhone. You just have a, have a different actual detector piece at the top. Okay. So this is the microphone that detects the call. The software within the echo meter app will then analyze the call and show it as a sonogram. So you've got a visual of it. 
but it'll also translate it into a sound that we can we can hear. Okay. Um, so you can either have it as heterodyne, which is probably closer to what the bat is transmitting, and hopefully later on we can show the difference. Also in um, real-time echolocation, which is more of a like electronic beeping. Okay. But it's surprising how quickly you can write a sound. Noctual oh. is on there, but that is probably because of the, either the tone of yours or I, my voice. We sound like bats. We do. We just it's and that's, very high-pitched voice. That, <laughs> let's not write it off. It might be a, a noctual, but you would have probably heard it. Sounds like you know, you know, as a kid, you used to put the coconut shells together to sound like a horse. Oh yeah, yeah. that's what you said. And it, like it'll the, make a yeah, like a yeah. clock, clock noise, and it'll be right down around about twenty megahertz. I say the, the downside with the, this type of detector is that it can make you like quite lazy. Right. Um, a lot of ecologists start with the bat, the duet bat boxes or the very basic ones that you tune like an old transistor yes, radio. Yeah, that's what I've used. And then to you start, right? then you start recognising because they'll make social calls and they'll make foraging calls and there'll also be things called feeding buzzes when they actually connect with their prey, which is like just like a little raspberry noise. Okay. Which is quite cool to hear that. It's mainly the pipistrels you hear that on. So we've got a jackdaw roost. Yeah. yeah. Jackdaws are coming in for the night. And weather plays a part. Mark, are you... Uh, it does, yeah. If I it's... mean, we, we don't generally survey in rain. Right. Um, because the bats don't generally fly in the rain because their prey doesn't generally fly in the rain. There's always sure. an exception to the rule, yeah. as you know, in, in the natural world. Um, and it needs to be above nine degrees okay. Celsius. To, to carry out a survey, obviously, <laughs> that problem this year. And um, comparing the two seasons that I've done, I haven't lost any surveys to the weather this year. It was last year, it was a very cold and wet April, May, if I remember rightly. Sure. And the season was compressed, and we were still surveying in quite October. a lot in a short space oh, of time. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely jam packed. And do they all hibernate in winter? Only if the weather is cold enough. Okay. They don't go and hibernate full stop, and that's the end. They're not of it. like true hibernators. No, no. I think they, most of them just go into torpor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, it won't have escaped your notice that an hour into our survey, we still hadn't seen any bats. That was until Amy finally spotted one. No. What's, what sort of bat was it? Hell if I know. <laughs> Whereabouts was said bat? So literally just coming out of the meadow arena, just as I hit the trees, it was coming out in front and quite low down. Okay. Typical. Quite low down? Yes. Probably along it then. Or yeah. very tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fading back. <laughs> So with a newfound feeling of hope, we pushed on to a lower part of the grounds to explore a bit further. Now it's worth mentioning in the next bit, not only do we get very excited about bats, but you might hear Basil, one of our booba cows, calling into the evening. Oh. Bat. Where? There, look. Oh, yuck. So that's going to be a common pipistrel, hopefully, when it IDs it. There we go. Yes. Well done, Mark. All right, we go home now, Tom. We have We've one common pipistrel. We need to see it. 
Oh, Amy's waving oh, over there. Oh, there, there it is. Amy's waving. It's yeah. over the Savannah yeah, Arena. There, there, yeah, there they are. Oh, the, the pond's there. They're yeah. all over the Savannah, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can see it over the pond. Yeah, straight over our heads. Yeah. Was that a common pip as well? Yeah. There we go. There he goes. Oh, cool. Skyline as well, perfect. So we've got the pond, haven't we? So there's yeah. bound to be more insects around the pond. There's a rhino there. <laughs> <laughs> Very close. Oh, look, right, yeah. right by us. Yeah. So these are pipistrels. These are common pipistrels. Okay. Yeah. And these are kind of the ones. I mean, I guess the clues in the name, but if people are likely to see them, yes, regularly, small, small bats, most likely to yeah. see. Whether you be in town or country. Yeah. There's. Mm. My eyes are deceiving, that was quite distant. Yeah, moving off into that grassy area at the back of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> so when you're, when you're doing your survey, are hmm. you marking off how many you're seeing? Yes. And how do you know you're not seeing the same one again and again and again, <laughs> going you, in circles? Yeah, you, you've got to... You've got to use a bit of common sense, to be honest with you. And really, if you're not seeing more than one animal okay. together, you're going to... You would you, you would keep recording them separately, but then you'd be talking about... Um, what's the word? Abundance, wouldn't you? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Rather than actual numbers you're recording. I think if you've recorded the presence of just one, that's, that's enough. That's all you need. Okay. So you rarely see them swarming unless it's at dawn. There's two together. Look at that. They're chasing yeah. each other. And it apparently is a moth that has electronic countermeasures that oh. can block and return the sonogram. And I don't know what species it is, and I should know. But yeah, it will. It will. We will find out. Yeah, <laughs> it can. It can block or return the signal to the bat to confuse it. A bit like electronic warfare. Mark, it's been fantastic to kind of spend this bit of the evening with you and, and yeah. talk all things bats. Mm. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast. Lovely to chat to you. Well, you're welcome. And good luck finding a few more. Thank I'm, you. I'm going to leave you to it now. <laughs> <laughs> thank yeah, you and good night. <laughs> So it's obviously great to head out with Mark. I was actually surprised that we didn't see more bats in the initial instance. I've I've seen more bats on yeah. other evenings that I've happened to be here late or we've had an event on um, on the grounds. But we did get to see those bats right towards the end of our survey. And of course, where were they? But right over the pond. It made sense, didn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. We're supposed to yeah, be wildlife lovers and we didn't look there first. Why didn't we do that? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think we thought they'd all be in the meadow, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, um, and, and they're not. <laughs> right, what's next, Tom? We've got to do our matter-of-fact challenge. <laughs> We've got to do our matter-of-fact challenge we have. A returning favourite. It's time for a bit of fun with our matter-of-fact challenge, which pitches you and me, Tom, against one another for the last time... Oh, gosh. ...to come up <laughs> with the best fact or the best animal, maybe it not It is this animal. time, yeah. yeah. Well, animal well, yeah. in the chosen... In the chosen category. Yeah, it does indeed. Uh, now, this one really means something because so far in this series, Hannah, you are very much in the lead with your lemur <laughs> beating my wasp in Best Pollinator, your red kite beating my California condor in the Best Animal <laughs> Comeback, and it's only my swift wiping the floor with your whale shark way back in March for Best Migration that's holding my side up. So, uh, the results of this show today will either send you out on a. On a will either send you out of this series and out of the show with your head held high or allow me just to claw back a little of my dignity, basically. So it's either a draw or a win for me. Yeah, you can't lose at this stage. <laughs> okay, well, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> this month's matter-of-fact challenge is... Best camouflage okay best camouflage there's so many creatures for camouflage and i looked through lots and lots of different animals i looked at the birds that we have here on site looked at the great gray owl looked at the tawny owl Uh, i looked to geckos i looked to chameleons and i stumbled across a pygmy seahorse have you seen one of these before um no so uh, the pygmy seahorse lives among coral reefs it's less than an inch long and it's studded with uh, little round kind of protuberances from its body. Um, so it's not kind of a, a, a smooth texture. And these are called tubicles. Yeah. tubicles. And this tiny seahorse has evolved itself to match perfectly with the coral it inhabits. And the picture I'm looking at, it kind of looks, well, it's, it's kind of white, but with these kind of pink spots all yeah. over that kind of... Um, stick out all over its body just like these kind of rugged pieces of coral Um, and it blends in so well um, that it was only discovered by humans after showing up among wild caught coral in an aquarium so it's only because people nicked some from the wild that it's like hang on a minute there's something in there that's moving we'd not seen it in the wild until that point so I think that's pretty cool isn't it yeah and and what a great way of evading predators in, in that um in, in that animal's case, it's all about kind of um, yeah, evading predators rather than um, trying to sneak up on their prey on the whole. Yeah. Oh, that's what a really good one, I think. Well, we're sticking with the marine environment. Um, and I feel, I think that... Oh, we're staying under the sea. Yeah, we're staying under the sea. Because, yeah, marine animals really do really smash it, don't they, at... Um, camouflage yeah um yeah so mine is um the mimic octopus oh i like an octopus um, i love an octopus i think they're st- absolutely fascinating mm. they did you know that their eyes evolved octopus's eyes evolved separately from eyes in other animals so 
you know how obviously most animals have got eyes yeah they evolved like completely separately so they evolved to see completely separately to how mammals evolved to see but it still does the same thing it's amazing. Anyway, I digress. How, um, the how mimic octopus. So they've they've they evolved <laughs> their eyes separately from other eye evolution. Yeah, on a d- wow. down a separate evolutionary line. So yeah, really fascinating. Um, and they're so wow. intelligent, aren't they? So, but specifically the mimic octopus, I chose. So it can change its color according to where it is, and it can also change its shape to like so it's color to to blend in like with the background with the coral or whatever Hmm. um but it can also change its shape so it can contort itself to disguise itself into the appearance of other animals so things like jellyfish uh sea snakes shrimps (laughs) yeah it can actually like contort parts of its body or contort its body to make itself look like different animals as well so yeah that's mine the um mimic octopus that is very very cool yeah that is a fair contender for best camouflage that's for sure you're saying about how they mimic other animals they often mimic in other animals yeah. that are also poisonous so that oh, things okay. won't eat them okay. yeah exactly so that um so they don't get munched remember it's up to you wherever and however you're listening to nature's a hoot to vote for whichever fact you think best fits the bill of best camouflage yes so you can head over to our instagram stories or our twitter feed both at hawk conservancy to vote now we will be revealing the winner of this episode's matter of fact challenge uh, next time but um it won't matter to hannah <laughs> i might listen yeah actually you need to listen that you that you'd won um okay So that's it for our September episode, and for me... For you, Hannah, that's it forever. Well, maybe not forever, but we'll have to get you back on the show. Once you're settled into a new role and you're doing a few bits and bobs, surely you can come and tell us all about what you're getting up to, because it sounds super interesting. Yeah, I would love to. That would be great. I can come on as a guest. Yeah, see it from the other side of the curtain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we do leave you... Dear listener, uh, a quick reminder of our Matter of Fact Challenge, of course. Uh, you can either vote for Hannah or for me on our Instagram stories or our poll on Twitter. And a reminder to subscribe to Nature's a Hoot wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, you could give us a review as well. It helps us to get our message out to the wider world. And in turn, of course, it helps us to conserve birds of prey. Yeah, thanks for listening. And I'll be back with you with exciting guests in November for more nature-filled fun. Hannah, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been wonderful. Oh, that's a wrap. Bye for now. Bye. (laughs)